0: From the NIPTI Radio Recording Studios, high above 107 Columbia Street in the heart of uptown downtown Albany, welcome to this week's edition of the NIPTI Practice Tips. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the NIPTI practice tips. We're coming to you from the heart of NIPTI, and we're bringing you two issues today motions to renew and motions to reargue. What are they, and where can you find the law that applies to them? Now, when you believe a judge's ruling on a motion is an error, There are specific factual circumstances that must exist before you can properly move for the court to take a second look at its decision. Such a motion is not permitted simply because the moving party wants another chance to argue its position. The CPL and the penal law make no provisions for motions addressing the court's previous decisions in criminal cases, with one exception, and that applies only to a defense motion. When dealing with suppression motions, CPL 71040 subdivision 4 permits the defense to renew a motion to suppress if there are pertinent facts discovered by the defense that could not have been discovered with reasonable diligence before determination of the original motion. Now, such motions that we're discussing are made pursuant to CPLR 2221 as written in the practice of criminal law under the CPLR and related civil procedure statutes by the Honorable Edward M. Davidowitz, while the CPL and the penal law will provide guidance, direction, solutions, and answers for most practical and substantive questions concerning the practice of criminal law, they're not exhaustive. Therefore, The prosecutor or defense counsel, by express direction of the criminal procedure law, or by inference, custom, and tradition, must look to the New York civil practice law and rules and other procedural rules and provisions relating to civil litigation for the conduct and defense of their cases. You will find any number of cases in New York that identify this as the proper procedure. You must look to the cplr and there are any number of cplr sections that you deal with on a regular basis for example article 78 that you're all familiar with that is article 78 of the cplr not the cpl other examples of your use of the cplr the introduction of business records introduction of public and government agency records hospital records when it comes to the proper service of subpoenas the CPL 61040 specifically notes that service must be made in a manner provided by the civil practice law and rules for the service of subpoenas in civil cases. Now, to successfully move for the court to take a second look at its ruling, you must either make a motion for leave to renew or a motion for leave to reargue, both pursuant to CPLR 2221. Some cases, a motion for both will be required. Now, while the term motion to reconsider is often used in discussing these issues generally, there is no statutory authority for the motion to reconsider. There are only these two specific situations where such a motion may be properly made, and neither one is identified as a motion to reconsider. Both motions require specific factual circumstances to exist before the court will give the moving party a second bite of the apple. In other words, you do not get a second chance to make a better argument than you did the first time to change the judge's mind. In the case of People v. Bowser, a Supreme Court Brooklyn case, Judge Vincent Del Judas gives us an example of the confusion that exists when lawyers are attempting to properly identify what kind of motion they are making in the context of renewal. Although the defendant's moving papers do not specifically state he is moving to renew and re-argue the court's March 29, 2022 decision and order concerning the grand jury presentation underlying the instant indictment, the purpose of said motion is nothing less as the defendant requests reinspection of the grand jury presentation and reconsideration of this court's decision and order. As such, this court is constrained to treat the defendant's motion as if it were made pursuant to the civil practice law rules CPLR 2221. And in that particular case, the court entertained the defense motion because The defense had made a general motion related to the sufficiency of the grand jury minutes, and then once they received them from the people, they then made a second motion with more detail based on the fact that they had only received this new information after the people had turned over the minutes. Let's explain the difference between the two. A motion for leave to renew found in CPLR 2221E based upon a finding of new facts that were not offered in the prior motion that, if considered, would change the previous determination. However, the moving party must present reasonable justification for the failure to present such facts on the prior motion. Such a motion seeks to convince the judge that the decision was in error and should be changed due to the court now having access to these previously unavailable facts. Now, failure to convince the court why this new material was not used initially has led, in many court decisions, the proper denial of such a motion to renew. In the case of People v. Cynthia Long, a first department decision from 2006, the court properly denied the defense motion to renew because the defense failed to demonstrate why the facts it was presenting in its motion were not argued in the original motion. The trial court also properly exercised its discretion when it declined to entertain a further renewal motion during trial. Now, a motion for leave to re-argue found in CPLR 2221D is not and cannot be based upon new facts. That's the key. When you are making a motion for leave to reargue, you are not presenting any new facts. You're not permitted. Instead, it is based upon the principle that the court, in reaching its decision, overlooked or misapprehended the relevant facts or misapplied any controlling principle of law. Its purpose is not to serve as a vehicle to permit the unsuccessful party to argue again the same questions the court previously decided and chose not to rule for that party. Moving party cannot be introducing new facts. Now, as noted in the practice commentaries for 2221, a motion to re is based on no new proof just seeks to convince the judge that the decision was in error and should be changed. The motion to re-argue must be made within 30 days after service of a copy of the order determining the prior motion and written notice of its entry as required by CPLR 2221-D-3. This time frame was added in 1999. The practice commentary noted that the amendment was simply a codification of the existing case law by adapting the time frame to re-argue with the time for taking an appeal, 30 days, both periods running from the time of the service of the objectionable order with written notice of entry. So it's not from the date of the decision, and that's an important thing for you to remember. Keep in mind, the 30-day clock does not start to run with the filing of the court's decision. The defense is required to serve decision upon the people. And your safest practice, if you're going to make such an appeal or make such an argument, is to act within 30 days of the time of the decision. However, the case law is clear on this issue. The Court of Appeals in People v. Washington wrote, this appeal presents a question left open in People v. Singleton whether service by the prevailing party is necessary under 460-10 in order to commence the time period for the other party to take an appeal. We conclude that it is. Pretty straightforward. There are also situations where the time has technically run out, but the motion court has properly entertained such a motion. And you know that is going to happen. A court, despite The language of the statute may feel, in the interest of justice, it's important that it entertain whether it's yours or the defense. In the case of People v. Albert Rodriguez from the First Department in 2005, the court wrote The motion court properly exercised its discretion in entertaining the people's technically untimely motion to re argue the dismissal of the count of criminal possession of a weapon in the second degree, citing CPLR 2221D, especially as the people's delay was caused by ongoing plea negotiations with the defense. So clearly there is some room for reasonableness on the part of the court to entertain motions both by you and the defense that are technically beyond the time. Now, there is no time frame for a motion to renew, and the reason for this is the fact that such a motion is based on new material that wasn't available when the motions were originally made, and Material may become available as late as even during the trial. There is no way to know when such material will come into the possession of the party. Motions to renew and reargue are required to be made in the same court that issued the original decision. There are situations, however, where the ruling judge is no longer sitting in the same court. In some situations, it is proper for the judge who has taken the place of the judge who is no longer there. To entertain these uh, motions. Recently, in the case of People v. Paulino Tavares, a criminal court case in the Bronx, the judge who had originally ruled on the case was no longer sitting in the court. And the judge now sitting in that part took the case and entertained motions for reconsideration. In this case, the People moved for, quote, re Court noted that the people presented no new facts to the court. Instead, they contended that the prior court overlooked or misapprehended matters of fact and law in determining the August 26th Certificate of Compliance Challenge motion. The new judge entertained the people's motion to reconsider and changed the ruling of the original court. This was a proper procedure, and it is not considered a court of concurrent jurisdiction making a ruling that is only technically permitted by an appellate court. This is simply a judge taking over a case, not on an appeal, but to take and consider the motions to reconsider or renew. And again, you see how the term reconsider can slip into the case law. Even the judges will use it sometimes. Now, there are times when an affirmation and opposition to a defense motion to suppress seems like a sure winner because the defense has failed to include sufficient sworn allegations of fact or failed to meet some other obvious motion practice requirement. If, to your amazement, the motion court grants a hearing where one should have been denied, you should then move to re-argue, highlighting for the court, in your papers, that part of the defense papers, which are in error, most motion courts will revisit his or her decision when the error is obvious and there is no real basis in fact or law for the court to have granted such a hearing. Because of the nature of these motions, judges can at times simply read quickly and miss the fact that there are required facts missing in the defense motion. So here is a perfect situation in which such a motion should be made. In the case of People v. Bayard, a First Department case from 2006, the motion court ordered a patent hearing. The people informed the hearing court they did not intend to introduce the statement resulting from the alleged patent violation. The defense claimed the ordered hearing was the law of the case and it was required to be conducted. Pretty novel, pretty unique. The judge denied the defense motion and defense took exception and eventually appealed this ruling by the hearing court or the attempted hearing court. On appeal, the appellate division held the hearing court was correct in not conducting the ordered hearing. It rejected the defense argument in a simple sentence defendant's patent claim was without merit. A concurring justice wrote, the prosecutor's representation that she would not seek to introduce defendant's statements on the people's case in chief constituted a sufficient change in the facts to warrant Justice Goodman's decision not to adhere woodenly. When dealing with these types of motions, it's imperative that you make one's base on the proper foundation, and identify the motion as such. Courts will be much more receptive to your arguments and your motions when they are properly identified. And your arguments are based on the requirements of a motion to renew or a motion to reargue. If you have any additional material you wish to bring up about this subject, please let me know. We'll be sure to share it with everybody. And of course, you can go to the Prosecutor's Encyclopedia where you will find any number of cases as well as a similar presentation in written form in the Prosecutor's Encyclopedia. We wanna thank our crack producer and man about town, Jonathan Marconi-Crispino for his great work as always. Thanks to all of you. Be well and stay ready, my friends.